You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of White People Won't Save You. This is a podcast where we deconstruct these white savior films and recontextualize them through a black and POC lens. I'm one of your hosts, Jordan Clark. Uh, as you might know, Cameron, uh, my co-host, is on a little sabbatical right now. He's got some traveling to do. He's got some work that he's doing. Um, all good things. But, you know, we've also been doing the show for nearly a year and a half straight no skips so like also nice to have a little bit of 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 a break uh but we are very excited to have our guest uh because these these movies aren't stopping there's there's two movies just from april to may that have released that are ostensibly the same movie uh with a little twist here and there but the movie that we're talking about today is guy ritchie's the covenant you have to say the whole thing guy ritchie's the covenant but joining us to talk about that is a cultural critic and a podcast host of the show uh Bertada and izzy this is Bertada el fado Bertada, how's it going hi jordan thank you so much for having me i'm so excited to talk to you yes um, today and you and i just want to say in your intro you said you did the podcast for a year and a half, no skips. No that's, skips. That's impressive. Every week. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I've had several podcasts, but the podcast I'm doing right now, the Izzy and Mortada Picture Show, we started in March and we've already took a break. Yeah. It was a one week break, but we still <laughs> took a break. <laughs> it's, so you know. I'm very impressed by the no skips. Th- I, it's appreciated. You know, like there's so many of these movies. Like it's, it's. We we may have bitten off a little bit more we can chew in the sense of like this this is maybe forever but <laughs> it's so far it's been great you know like yeah. we don't have any complaints um, but we we are here to talk about Guy Ritchie's The Covenant which came out in April and it again it's wild I know how movies work right like these things aren't just brought up overnight like there's pre-production there's years of you know like scouting locations and casting and like all this stuff but it's also it's always that weird hollywood like almost like zeitgeist that you see where like one or two movies come out and it's like the same movie and you're like how did that happen but this is like the same movie released almost a month apart and also like about a subject that I th- I think neither movie is necessarily attempting to broach, but like using as backdrop for like an action film. It's like just it's a jump of- off. It's a jump <laughs> off. Yeah. Um, which is very strange for the war in Afghanistan to be a jump off to like, it's like you said, an action film. Well, especially <laughs> after, like not only after we've pulled out of Afghanistan, but also like decidedly, I think popular consensus although i'm sure there are some people who still have some whatever going on but like generally people feel like that was a terrible idea you know in hindsight like it was not none of it was good nothing good came of it um and so for these two movies to come out and 
the, I mean, the other thing that's also, I think, at least pretty well known is like any military type movie always has military connections. Like it's very rare that a military film comes out without the cooperation of, you know, the United States military in some way, shape or form. So like you yeah. can never really go too hard because it's always going to be in conjunction with the people that you would be criticizing. Um, mm -hmm. So it's also interesting that they're they're like set up as like a hey look at this injustice that happened. Also like look at the great men and women of the U.S. Mm. military that we would like you to like still shower with all this praise, which is like a yeah. very weird dissonance that I think I don't. I mean, this movie I would say did not pull that off, but I'm going to assume Kandahar also does not do that either. <laughs> Yeah, well, neither of us have seen Kandahar because there's no need to see both of them. <laughs> um, it's so funny, when you were talking, I was reminded that Jake Gyllenhaal actually made a movie uh, much better than than Guy Ritchie's The Covenant years ago, uh, Jarhead. I don't know if yeah. you saw, saw that. Mm -hmm. And that movie was, um, you know, criticized war in general and the American involvement in Iraq, which is the previous war. In the, it was set in the early 90s. Um, and it was a movie that sort of just said war is boring, war is banal, and people die for no reason, and mm -hmm. it's futile. And so that was an interesting thing. It's not an entirely successful film, but I think it's definitely more successful than, than The Covenant. And it also, you know, it's a piece of criticism about the military, which you don't yeah. see much. So it's not, it's not like a gun ho, 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 let's go, you know, yeah. Americana forever, which The Covenant is kind of like. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we get too deep into it, let's let's just get your thoughts. Generally, Guy Ritchie, right? Are you a Guy Ritchie fan? Are you? Is he your mortal enemy? Are you agnostic? Um, is it like? I'm mostly agnostic about Guy Ritchie, but then for some reason this year I was assigned both his movies that <laughs> um, that came out. I was assigned to review them by the AV Club, and so I reviewed this one, and I also reviewed the other one, which was called, I think, Operation Fortune. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like him in the other mode. Like, I think The Covenant is sort of him trying to be serious and make a, you know, quote-unquote serious mo movie about a serious subject. I like him when he's um, playful and funny. He, he knows how to stage action scenes well, I mm -hmm. think. Um, he's very famous for the sort of, like, the male repartee, bop, 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 you know, exchanging... Right. Um, witty fast talk which you know if you think of roll and rock and roller is that what it's called yeah. and, um and all of that so all of those it's not kind of you know as a queer man it's not what i like <laughs> the sort of like bro 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 movies um it doesn't really um uh i don't what what's the right word um it doesn't inspire anything um in me but i you know enjoy it for what it is sometimes once in a while but it's, yeah he's not somebody i want to go and watch his latest immediately <laughs> yeah well he's been on a, a very interesting trajectory as of late because uh the, the last couple of movies he made before this he made the gentleman which is another film with him and jason statham uh which mm -hmm. like seemingly was a return to form because before that he made aladdin which was commercially very successful but critically not very successful and then before that somehow he he was able to escape uh the king arthur debacle that he made oh, which right. was also <laughs> a huge failure uh yeah. financially but like i think i think from what i've heard you know is that guy Ritchie is very dependable in terms of like he gets the movies in on time and he gets mm. the movies in on budget 
and like studios will continue to kind of turn to him for yeah. you know just a dependable hand for a big action. he'll always be employed yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. like this this is definitely a turn because it is i think we could just outright say it. this is a very oscar bait esque movie anytime i think when you turn to dramatic war picture like there is specifically from the studio hope that it's gonna pick up at least some you know acclaim in in that realm mm-hmm. uh and it it sees him basically <laughs> basically turning it all off but unable to actually like finish the job you know what i mean like there's yeah. a lot of like things that are quintessentially guy Ritchie. But uh-huh. also, like, you can tell he's trying to mute it because this is supposed to have a certain aesthetic that he's trying to meet. But, like, I think there's mm-hmm. there's an eternal battle going on inside yeah. of him, as we will discuss. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny you say it's Oscar bait. I think maybe it was Oscar bait at the casting and script stage. But right. I think once the studio saw this movie, they knew it was an Oscar bait because that's why they released it in, was it April? It was released yeah. last month, right? That's why they released it in April because hardly any movie getting but but I but I understand what you're saying and I agree with you is that its ambitions are definitely grander than the usual um uh Guy Ritchie film, even though For they sure. insisted on putting his name on the title. I don't know yeah. why. <laughs> Apparently, from what they say, there was the 2012 film The Covenant, and they didn't oh, want people to okay. get confused between the two, but it also it still feels like a choice. Uh, to no. do that, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but for people who who aren't aware, Guy Ritchie's The Covenant did come out uh, last well two months ago now in April. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal. It stars Dar Salim, and really that's all you need to know because like it's it's basically those two with others, but they don't really nobody else really gets a character, even as as much as those two get a character. It had a budget of fifty-five million. So far, the box office is sitting at seventeen point five million. So I'm going to say that was not a success. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> it it you know I think like you're saying coming out in April is is not you know prime time, but it's also there was an unfortunate run too because it came out alongside Evil Dead Rise um, and the the expansion of Bo is Afraid. And then was also caught in the in the Super Mario Brothers mall that just kind mm-hmm. of like ran over a lot of films, you know, as that was in theaters. And so like I, studios again, like they're making these decisions. So maybe they saw that and were like, let's just dump it here, you know, yeah. or we're hoping that maybe people would kind of, hey, Guy Ritchie, you know, <laughs> like go, go see a Guy Ritchie movie. But I will do my best to, to kind of run this movie down in five minutes for people who have not seen it. And I would say, don't see it. Like it's not necessarily, <laughs> you won't, you won't miss anything. If you like, I but paid listen tw- to us, talk about it. Listen to us, talk about it. <laughs> I paid $20 to watch it because it, it was streaming, but like, you don't have to do that. Especially like if you're curious, it'll be on, you know, max or something at some point, like you can check it out. But, um, 
yeah so here's here's the the quick and dirty version of guy ritchie's the covenant um we opened in 2018 with jake gyllenhaal who's playing john kinley who's an army sergeant who's heading up this munitions inspection unit in afghanistan and it's made up of the typical guy ritchie characters because they're named to things like jizzy and chow chow and they have all this typical you know like army bro banter um but of course during his team's routine inspection at the very beginning of the movie they're checking out this truck that's coming in it looks suspicious of course it is suspicious of course it blows up uh and kills their their current translator and so they're in need of a new translator and that means enter dar salim who's playing ahmed he comes in um you know he's highly recommended he speaks like four languages like all this other stuff except he's term difficult to work with nobody really wants to take him on um and that's because as ahmed sells himself he is not just a translator but he's an interpreter so he likes to do things his way he doesn't necessarily you know follow orders to the t he's always trying to to put his own spin on things and in the sign of great storytelling we learn basically his whole backstory from a character that i think doesn't have more lines after this he just kind of shows up to tell us about Ahmed and then I think dies later but he tells us that Ahmed he's got a baby on the way um Mm -hmm. you know he's he needs the money he needs the visas that the jobs provide and also the Taliban killed his son and he hates them very much and so Mm -hmm. because we have to have some internal friction between you know our two leads in the beginning John and Ahmed they start off at odds uh they're they're you know, kind of not sure how to find the weapons that they're looking for. They're getting all kinds of different intel about, you know, where these IEDs and different things are at. But fortunately, Ahmed is basically a human lie detector, and he's able to sniff out the traitor within their unit, and he's also able to sniff out uh, this man who is lying to them when they reach an abandoned mine. Uh, But Mm -hmm. that turns out to be, maybe not necessarily an ambush, but it, it turns out to be where everything goes left, because... Once they get there, it is very much so a Taliban, you know, uh, stronghold. And the basic, I think, like they call the Taliban, I think, leader. I don't know who this person is, but he's he's shown several times and he's like giving orders and directions. And he basically says, send everyone. So they send. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about the script. Like, like, I think it's it's you don't really know who that man is. He's just barking some orders and, you know, he's portrayed and, you know, the long beard and the, his face is covered yeah. and, and it's like enemy villain, you know, that's just, that's his, the only characteristic. And so they, they send everyone and uh, the unit is ambushed and everybody except for John and Ahmed, which is, means even poor Jizzy and Chow Chow get killed. Only John and Ahmed manage to escape and they have to escape on foot. They're being tracked by the Taliban, the leader in a voiceover declares them enemies of God, I think is the line that he says. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's who I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, they find this small house that John says smells like shit, and they decide they're going to spend the night there. But the next morning, they get ambushed again. And this time, John gets shot twice um, for reasons that aren't really explained. I guess they just want them to be ca- captives. The Taliban wants to, to take them alive. Um, and so mm-hmm. a really jumpy member of the group just like cracks John's skull and he's like about to black out. But before he blacks out, he sees Ahmed who's turned into John Wick and just like headshots for everybody, kills all the Taliban members and carries John away on this homemade cart that he constructs um, on a whim. And then this is where this is where the movie just like more than jumps the shark, like just goes into a whole different realm because 
basically there's a 30 minute sequence damn near where Ahmed is carrying John what we are told is 100 clicks. So if you don't know what 100 clicks is, 100 clicks is basically 62 miles, which would basically be from like Trenton, New Jersey to Brooklyn. And so he's carrying this man through the heat, through the cold. They don't have any water or food. They're going up mountains. They're going down mountains. They end up in a truck with the Taliban at some point. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, Ahmed's just so determined to get John back to, you know, this base. And so against all odds, they eventually, you know, after a few days, they get like a mile or so outside of this army base. Of course, the Taliban shows up again, you know, one last Mm -hmm. time. And, you know, Ahmed just on instinct, like finishes off the last two members that are about to discover John. The U.S. Army rolls up. Uh, they see a brown man with a gun, so they take him out. But then they also discover that John is there. Uh, and then, you know, they, they rescue him. They get him home. Smash cut to California, right? John is home. There's about an hour left in the movie at this point. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh, and we spend the next 30 minutes of it basically on hold in real time with Jake Gyllenhaal as he yells at bureaucracy i guess (laughs) generally he can't get the visas for ahmed he's he's haunted basically is what he says by you know what what happened back in afghanistan and doesn't describe what what's going on as an injustice or anything like that but more so describes it as like extreme guilt that he is home and ahmed is basically forced to like go into hiding with his family and so like what does John do? Does he go public with this information? Does he go to the higher ups with this information? He mortgages his house to start a like small privately funded black ops group to go back to Afghanistan to rescue Ahmed, except that's going to take too long. So he basically leaves the, the black ops squad behind to go solo back to Afghanistan to get Ahmed out. Um, he's able to link up with Ahmed's brother, who we've mm-hmm. heard reference a few times. His name is Ali, and he's basically a, a huge heroin dealer in the area, and he's able to facilitate John with a driver who knows all of the Taliban checkpoints, except the first Taliban checkpoint they get to, they basically like are told to get out of the car, and they're about to get shot, so like John kills the guy, which alerts the Taliban that John is back in Afghanistan. Yeah. They go to find Ahmed who is, as we're told, the most wanted man in Afghanistan, but he is just out, like, John finds him by looking through binoculars, because he's just out fixing a car in the middle of nowhere. And so John goes up to him, he's, you know, they have this, I guess, humorous moment where John just kind of, like, doesn't say anything and, like, waits till Ahmed notices him. But he's like, hey, we got to get out of here right now. You know, this is one shot to get you back out of America with the visas. Like, we need to leave. And so, like, they get in the car. Of course, the Taliban has followed them all this way. This is when the movie turns into basically, like, a Taken film. There's, like, a huge shootout. Uh, They get trapped and pinned down on this bridge. It's just, it's literally the entire Taliban versus John (laughs) and Ahmed. Uh, And wouldn't you know it, U.S. military might, this, like, super duper drone comes out of nowhere obliterates all human life except for john and ahmed um they're able to get onto the plane they they get out of afghanistan ahmed and his wife get their visas they get to come to america to i think work in john's garage is what i assume is happening there uh so it's it's a happy ending except it's not a happy ending because the text at the end of the movie lets us know that as soon as America left, the Taliban took over again. 
you mm-hmm. know, thousands, you know, uh, translators have been stranded in Afghanistan. A lot of them have been killed. More of them have been forced to go over underground. We get the basic, like the dictionary definition of covenant. And that is Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. So, yeah. Let's talk, uh, <laughs> because I would like to know, just like, I'm sure there's a lot of different levels in terms of, of criticism when you're when you're watching a movie, and I'm sure mm-hmm. you know you're 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 taking it in on a lot of different levels. But like your initial impression, having like just finished the film, like what was going through your mind? I mean, I think the film. It's like as we can tell from your description of it, it's not one film. I think it's three films. And the first film is sort of like what you expect from Guy Ritchie. There are several men, they have a mission, they're friends and they banter and they rib each other off. And that's like the first mission. And then the mission goes wrong and whatever. Then we go into the second movie, which is the one between um, Jake Gyllenhaal and Darcelim as I think his name is Kinley. And Ahmed, the 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 interpreter, and sort of like it's a survival story, right? Mm-hmm. Like they get hit, and he's trying to save him in the survival story. And then we get to the third movie, which is a rescue mission, where like, oh, I'm gonna go back into Afghanistan to save my friend. And it's sort of like it could have been one of the three, and I think the three kind of don't belong together. And the the critical flaw in this film to me is that. None of the characters are written with any depth or nuance. Mm-hmm. Um, like Joan Kinley is just like we are supposed to take him at at face value as this sort of American war hero. Um, mm-hmm. And we also have to take him that he is in this great marriage um, back home. Two scenes for the the actress who plays his wife and yeah. Emily Beach. What a terrible role for her. Yeah, I'm sorry, Emily. Hopefully you got paid well. Yeah. Just basically to give us like, oh, he's a good guy. He's married. He has kids. He's like, you know, and then the same thing with the Darsalim character, Ahmed, who's not even given a last name. Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Do you know his last name? I don't know. I... He's just called Ahmed. That's yeah. it. And so, and he's just also drawn in the broadest strokes of just like, oh, he's very smart. And that's why he got the job. And now they're friends and they're friends for life. And that's why he's, Jake Gyllenhaal is coming back to save him. And for us to invest in this friendship, I think we needed to know a little bit more about these characters. Why did John yeah. Kinley, the Gyllenhaal ca- character, enlist to fight in, in Afghanistan? We don't know. The movie never never tells us that story. Why is he so intent on doing this? And and for the Ahmed character, it's just the broadest thing ever, which is like, oh, he needs to save his wife and kid, which is like, yeah. that's a good reason for sure. But also, <laughs> can we understand this relationship, this marriage? What sort of drives this person um, to do the things that he's doing? So I think it's 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 the characters that they just don't work, which affects the whole movie. Yeah, it's very interesting because it, it the, the whole movie is those two, right? Like that is the mm-hmm. basis of the film. It's not just their relationship, but this like, inseparable bond that they have formed through war but we we never get we get so little of ahmed and like what what he thinks about anything other than getting Mm -hmm. visas and getting out of the country because like 
I think one of the, the, the biggest criticisms that I have about this movie is, again, you're making this movie in 2000. Well, it's coming out in 2023, but you're probably making this movie in 2022, 21, whatever. Right. And like, mm-hmm. we know, right. Like there's so much that has been said about Afghanistan and everything that went on there. And to mm-hmm. not only center the film mostly around Jake Gyllenhaal's character and his perspective, but to have almost no thoughts about what's happening in his country from um, mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's he is yeah. he not only lives here right and it's not only you know because like everything is is so taliban focused right like and i think mm-hmm. these movies it's 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 the easy fodder right i will i want to get into this more in depth later but like you know taliban is bad right so that's bad so like we all agree on that we don't yeah. need to get we don't need to do any more thought process in the movie about that, right? So, like, yeah. positioning Ahmed as like anti-Taliban is like Ahmed good, right? Like, don't yes, really totally. need to yeah. know much more about him. But it's oh, like, yeah. but yeah, the, yeah. like, but Afghanistan's not the Taliban, right? Like, the Afghan Afghanistan is a country, but like, there are mm-hmm. Afghan people and there's Afghan culture. And he lived mm-hmm. here before the Taliban was a thing that existed, and like, I would mm-hmm. assume would like to envision a future past that so like what does he think about anything like he just seems to be here specifically and and i think this is where i i want to start because i found it fascinating watching the movie like you see the the trailers and like all of the the advertising for the film and i i have to assume i have to assume there was some thought process in it that well if if Ahmed saves John, then it can't be a white savior movie because they're saving each other, right? Like we kind of found a loophole yeah, there, yeah. so we can kind of get yeah. around it. Because otherwise, <laughs> yes. on the face of it, it's like it literally goes back to save his life. Like it can't get yes. more yeah. savior than that. But like, yeah, totally. Who who do you who is this who is this movie for in two thousand and twenty three? No, for nobody, um, I think. And I think one of the things that I really love that you said earlier is that it relies on the audience's preconceived notions and ideas about the war in Afghanistan without having its own point of view at all. Like this movie from from a writing perspective, from a character perspective, even for, I don't know where they shot, but even if like they don't really show the country. So it's just relying on our own ideas that it assumes... Everybody who sees this movie knows what happened in Afghanistan, what happened in this war. It doesn't want to take any sides. It doesn't even want to comment at all. It doesn't even say that this war was unpopular. The war in (laughs) Afghanistan is a very unpopular war with most of the American people. But it doesn't even say that. Um, And so I just don't, you know, how do you make a movie about a complex war like this that you know americans involvement in the in afghanistan and all what happened and all the people that you know we sent there and all of that and you have no point of view about it whatsoever you just sort of distill it into this oh these two great men became friends and now they have to save each other and that's it so then why are we sitting in afghanistan you know i don't know make him some interpreter for a drug lord i don't know somewhere (laughs) fictional right (laughs) in a country that doesn't even exist like there is nothing about Afghanistan or the war in this film, except, you know, they just say it's set there. It's it's interesting because now that I'm thinking back on it, like, I don't think they ever 
discuss the war at all like as a thing like they are there but like there's never any like hey not even like yeah. <laughs> you know turn to camera hey what do you think about the war yeah. in afghanistan but it's like why, why did all these people enlist like you yeah. never get that why are they all set you know on doing yes i guess they're in the military so they're ordered to do something so they do it but like what what is your feeling about this besides just some banter and you know all the military lingo and like you know shoot here you know, i don't know what they say but i guess it's shoot here <laughs> shoot there pointed here pointed there whatever that's all they talk about <laughs> that's all they talk about and it's like you know, the job that they're doing in trying to find like munitions and things like that, you know, is, is f from a filmmaking perspective, like a very simple, it's like, oh, you know, like we have to stop the Taliban from like arming themselves and like doing all this stuff. Again, not really getting into the complex political situation of like, they kind of got the guns from us, uh, <laughs> you know, to start with. Yeah. <laughs> but but also just like the, the the larger ramifications of this, especially in 2018, where it's not necessarily known that we're going to pull out, but like it's on the horizon that, that we're probably mm -hmm. not going to be here much longer. And so like yeah. even that as a soldier, like that perspective of like I've spent, I don't know, because we don't even know how long John's been there, but I think his wife alludes to like 12 years. I don't know if it's 12 years military service or 12 years of being that in afghanistan or yeah i don't know it was a weird number they threw out but like yeah. if you'd been there for that long like you must have some feelings about like all this right? coming to you, an end and like did i accomplish so. anything <laughs> you know in the long term um yeah yeah there is I something interesting um about this film that i thought like i mean the whole premise um, is on this this program that the U.S. military had, which is like these interpreters who basically worked for the U.S. military, um, the enemy for yeah. some people in Afghanistan, for the Taliban, but also a foreign um, a foreign force inside your country, which not right. a lot of people um, would look at kindly, whether they were pro-Taliban mm -hmm. or not. If mm -hmm. you're working for, you know. Um, a foreign military, uh, like occupiers, kind of. So, yeah. but they they were given these um, these promises for relocation and immigration. So you work for us for however long it is, and we will relocate you to the U.S. and you will get this visa. And I mm -hmm. think that program is very interesting because I think in the end, you know, I wanted to know more about this. Like I wanted to know more about this program, but instead, all we get. It's just a plot device. So Jake Gyllenhaal can get drunk and call some people on the phone while he's just, <laughs> um, you know, spousing about the bureaucracy or whatever. And and then it's a reason for him to go back. While I think sort of like, you know, a more nuanced um, story would have sort of like concentrated on Ahmed, why he wanted to do this. Why does he want to leave? What does America mean to him? All of these things. Why does he want to participate in this program? And, you know, I'm an immigrant myself. And I know, like, you know, a lot of people want to come to America. And it is, you know, I did it too. So there is, there are reasons for people to take that step, to want to do that. But the movie right. doesn't, gives, oh, he just has a kid. He needs to save his kid. That's it. And then we never, yeah. he doesn't even say that. That's spoken <laughs> for him by somebody else yeah um we never get his point of view and no. i think that's where it falters the biggest because 
that's an interesting historical thing that all of these people from Afghanistan were given the chance to relocate. And like, well, let's explore that. Why did they want to yeah. go? Why did this program start? Was it successful? How many yeah. people relocated? You know, tell us a little bit more. Maybe Ahmed has a, a friend who participated in the program before and that's right. why he did. I don't know. You know, I'm not a screenwriter. But give yeah. me something more than just, oh, he needs to save his wife and kid. Right. But with all that nuance, though, you don't get the line that Jake Gyllenhaal says a couple times is that there's a, there's a fucking man stuck in a goddamn cave that he yells into the phone <laughs> at least three times. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> Those scenes are just terrible. Jake Gyllenhaal trying to be drunk. I'm just he's, like, why? Why are we here? He's I'm sure he's <laughs> alone. And they're just like, and, and we're rolling the camera, Jake, like, give us give it to us, you know, yeah. Uh <laughs> Well, I want to I want to dissect this scene because I found it very interesting, and I I want to know if you if you're on the same wavelength as me because the whole sequence where Ahmed rescues John, right? Mm-hmm. If you have seen any promotional things for this movie, you know he does it right. Like it's not. A, a question of whether or not he rescues John because the whole second half of the movie is presupposed on the fact that John has to go back to Afghanistan to rescue Ahmed. So like mm-hmm. the idea that either of them are in any actual danger, like if you're just looking ahead which, is like, which scene, which scene do you mean this when they were together and, and, and John Kinley, the Jake Gyllenhaal character was shot and he, and Ahmed was carrying him around yes. and they were kind of trying to survive and the, in the wilderness of Afghanistan, that's, yes. that's the part you're talking about, right? Yes, yeah, and that's okay. and it's like it goes it goes on for like twenty minutes almost. Like mm-hmm. it is a very long sequence, right? And so I'm I was watching it because at a certain point it's like, all right, wait a minute, right? Like it's not even like the unbelievability of you know a man carrying another man sixty two miles, but it's like if if I already know right that these two men survive this experience because one of them has to go back to save the other that's the second half of the movie that's what i was that's what i was told that's like that's the advertising mm-hmm. telling me like it's not even like a secret twist or anything like that like mm-hmm. the to me after a while it felt like we need to show ahmed is so good and so like with so much bravery and valor and he's willing to go to these extremes to save this man who was not like totally an asshole to him, but like kind of like standoffish and dickish at times. And like, you know, they weren't like best friends, you know, but like, he's, he's really, he's one of the good ones because look how like determined he is to make this happen. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's no context in there because like on the one hand you could read it as, well, look, if I get the, if I do this, they gotta give you that visa, right? Like, there's, you can't, mm-hmm. you can't question it at that point because I did the unthinkable, right? Like, I would so yeah. far to the extreme that I got him, but that's not how the movie plays it. It plays it as mm-hmm. like, because he is good, right? Because he is a good person. He did good thing for other person. And mm-hmm. so, like, it, it read to me, almost as if like hey we know we know the person who's going to come see this movie they don't Mm -hmm. really want to watch an hour of a brown man 
like with his family <laughs> like do we got to really sell them on this guy because if they once they once they're in with him but like how can we hook them in it's like well, what if he does the most absurd <laughs> like yeah. there's a scene where he this i i didn't understand what happened here he's going down the road in a truck jake is in the back he's in like under some rugs taliban is like up maybe like you know a couple minutes from where they are they pull them over they say hey the truck broke down we need a ride they're in the truck for like two minutes they don't go anywhere they go Mm. like two minutes up the road it's not like an extended like 20 minute like tense sequence of like oh my god you know like they just get in they drive two minutes they stop and they get out yeah and it's like (laughs) i mean i and they're sitting on him like he's right you know i mean it's like i understand the what they're trying to do but it's almost like Taliban as like stormtroopers of like they're so inept to that like they wouldn't even think I think I might be sitting on a human being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there there are a lot of implausible things that happen um in this part of the film. But I think the criticism is is valid for it because um it's trying to tell us that the bond between these two men is so deep that he would do that, you know, Ahmed would do what he did, um, which is carry him around and try to um, make sure that he is well and all of that. But before that, they haven't really sold us on this friendship. Like they haven't showed us how this bond developed. Um, that's what's missing from the movie. Like I would have believed this part of the film more if they had shown this this real, real bond. But again, they're just, it's all these broad strokes of just yeah. like, oh, they went to war together. So a bond must have developed between them. Like, well, okay, but you need to show me this bond. You need to show me why, yeah. why they became friendly. Yes, they're both competent war heroes, which you keep telling me over and over again. But what's between them as two guys? Um, and And this is why this may be this part of the film doesn't, doesn't, sound doesn't you know doesn't to your point doesn't sound so plausible yeah like you don't really believe it um yeah and even if the reason was the visa well tell me that well that's what i was (laughs) like because what's so crazy about it too is like he does all that he gets Mm -hmm. back you know immediately he is like detained by you know other military members who i guess don't they don't recognize him because he's not in you know, like fatigues, I guess. So like, they just assume he is the enemy. And then like, we we smash cut back to California. So we don't get to see any of what's happening to Ahmed. Like, we get a brief sequence where we check in on him and the Taliban is like gonna murder him. So he like, again, John Wick's a guy like cuts his throat and like escapes with his wife. But like, we're none of none of what happened up until that point is like, we don't even know because what what to me is so insane is right if i'm an interpreter in afghanistan right this mm-hmm. guy just dragged a man 62 miles and they are not giving him a visa yeah. i'm going to quit today because if i can't top that and if he's not getting one i what am i going to do you know what i mean because yeah. that's like yeah. such a crazy even just like like he can't sleep at the base 
apparently like they can't even get him to like romania or like just like just not in afghanistan anymore you know what i mean like not even to america it's just like no we cut you loose i guess is what is implied like he is just on his own after doing arguably the most heroic thing that i think anybody at that army base has done because not only not only does he like he is why they don't die immediately when they go to the the mine and then like Mm -hmm. is why john is able to survive even before that like even just initially like getting out of there because he like shoots a couple people and like helps him get out on foot so like you know like there's a weird thing because this is the other side of it with jake gyllenhaal where he's his whole thing is not like i owe this man my life right like you know this this man did such an incredibly brave thing for me and it's so unjust what the american military and like government is doing to him it's i i feel so guilty mm-hmm. that i got yeah to it's go more person <laughs> Yeah, see, this is where they dropped the ball. And to my point earlier, like, you know, they should have concentrated on sort of like the the program itself and where it failed and where it was successful, as opposed to just making it, to your point, a personal thing where I feel guilty because he saved me and now I need to save him. But like, there is a whole system that failed Ahmed. It's not just you. So why is this movie not showing us why this system what how this system works why did it fail like that would have made a much more interesting story instead of just two scenes of him getting drunk and you know (laughs) yelling at somebody and then it was like yeah i'm going back to afghanistan let's do the let's do the white savior movie now the one that we've been trying to avoid for the last two-thirds of this film but now it's just gonna be it the white man goes back to the brown country to save the brown man let's do it well, and it's crazy too because he goes back like he left so like he doesn't shave he doesn't get a new haircut he's not even he's a white <laughs> man in afghanistan who looks exactly the same as he did when he left afghanistan jordan they only had two weeks to shoot wherever they shot this movie i don't think they shot it in afghanistan but wherever they shot it they only had two weeks there was no time for Jake Gyllenhaal to change his haircut. <laughs> like, like no, like no attempt. And what... even like, even when they like, he goes to see Ahmed. Like, he literally just looks out a pair of binoculars and he's there. Like, I, yeah, I've been told that he is the most wanted man in Afghanistan, and yet here he is, just you, standing. He found there. him in five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> immediately. He's just like, I landed in Afghanistan, and there he is. We found him. <laughs> Even though he's been hiding for like months, right? Was it a yeah. year? It, it's it's a long time, months at it, least. Right. It, it's so so long that he can't he can't wait anymore. The tactical ops team that he mortgaged his home for, like, will just have to catch up because he has to go right now and get on a plane. Well, I know you had some some general Jake Gyllenhaal thoughts, so I'd like to hear those if there's any that you are are. So- so I'm thinking, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal used to be an actor who I really liked. I thought he was somebody who was, you know, in command of his instrument and he he made some good choices early on in his career. And it was, you know, and he looked nice. So it was somebody I was interested <laughs> to see and to watch. And then he started going into this thing. I know people love Nightcrawler. Yeah. and But I think of it as the start of this part of his career that is just terrible. (laughs) 
as an actor, he's not that interesting to me anymore because all he does is do these ticks. Like he did mm. Nightcrawler, and I think that the success of that, or at least the critical response to it, or maybe his agents, wherever he heard about his performance in that movie, he just sort of like, oh, I need to find a tick right. for every role that I do, and I need to do that. And like something like Prisoners, he is unwatchable in that. <laughs> like the whole, there is a tick and there is a move from his head, and his, it's just like, it's too much acting. And the um, Okja, oh my God, so bad mm. in Okja. <laughs> Doesn't stand still for a second in Okja. He's always moving. I'm just like, you know, I'm dizzy watching you. Can you stop? Yeah. Um, he, it's, I just think, I know people like these performances. I think they're terrible. I think he lost what, what has made him interesting. And then now recently with this movie, with Ambulance, with all these other movies that he's making, it looks like he gave up on sort of like being an interesting actor. And it's just trying to be a box office star. Um, and I don't know that these movies are going to make him that. And also, I think he's sort of taking, like one of the things that I wrote about in my review is that he's trying to maybe, or it's either him or the people around him who manage his career. He's trying to to see what has worked for other people, other mm. bigger stars, sure. and try to emulate it. Like you could think of... The Covenant as his revenant, which worked for yeah. for Leo DiCaprio because it's a survival story and he's one man against the elements and against whatever. And there is a whole that second part is the revenant. You could also think of it as like a Rambo, which was a big hit for mm -hmm. Sylvester Stallone back in the day. And that was, you know, what made him a star. And so this sort of like war story is like. Yes, you hated the Vietnam War, but guess what? I'm going back <laughs> and I'm going to change the whole narrative about Vietnam. And that's what he does here, right? Kind of. Right. It's an unpopular war. Nobody likes this war. He's like, let's make a good, positive story about it and change the narrative, which based on the script, it, completely unsuccessful. Right. Um, and also, you know, somebody else is like, you know, Bradley Cooper had success with a movie um, with, um, what's the Clint Eastwood movie that Bradley Cooper? Uh, the Sniper, uh, American Sniper. American Sniper, which was sort of a movie that um, was about the military and about this war and about the toll that it takes on um, on the on the veterans. And I guess this is the part in the end, you know, the drunk part of it. That's mm -hmm. what he's trying to do. Uh, he's trying to do his American right. Sniper. And in the end, it's it's like a smidgen of all these movies and none of none of what he does here. His performance is fine. Like, this is not a bad performance. He, it's a bad script. He does what he can with this script. Like, sure. I don't think it's a bad performance. It's not as bad as Okja. Um, but but it just doesn't give him anything to succeed. He's trying to emulate or use these sort of, like, success signposts as, like, oh, maybe it will be like this one. And it doesn't really succeed as any of these movies. Um, and it could be I just watched too many movies and I just think about it too much <laughs> no. <laughs> no, none of that was was on his mind <laughs> well i think you know like he he definitely in this film and you know like darcy darcy was well like darcy was a very good actor you know but like neither of them have been given much of anything to do so here's here's a bit of the behind yeah. the scenes because i think it's it is an interesting thing to consider well, I before don't, we go into the behind yeah. the, the scenes let's talk about darcy because i think yeah. What I liked about his performance, I think he, he is the better performance in this film. Sure. Um, we already talked about how the script doesn't give him much to do. And the script doesn't even, not even this, 
that does not give him his character a last name. It doesn't even give him that much dialogue. No. So a lot of this performance is done in silence. And you and it has to the camera has to sort of like get from his facial expressions what this character is going through. Yeah. And I and that's was the most effective thing about this movie. When the camera is on him, I understood that character. Um, even though the script doesn't give give him any character to work, but he no. manages to be interesting. He manages um, to be the far more interesting character of the duo. Like mm-hmm. I was yeah, far totally. more invested in what was going on with him just generally like that. That's again, the section which we get back to California and we don't see him again for at least 30 minutes. I was just like, yeah, but what about a bet? Like, what is he doing right yeah, now? Yeah, Let's follow the interesting <laughs> character and the better actor, at least in yeah. this film. <laughs> right. Well, so, yeah. Sorry, Jake Gyllenhaal fans. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I don't know if this is how Guy Ritchie works generally in all of his films, but from what Jake Gyllenhaal has said, and Darcy backed it up in all of their interviews together, like basically a lot of day of rewrites, right? Like a lot of showing up to the set and Guy Ritchie no, kind of like up. planning some things out. And, you know, not not he I think he told them more or less, don't you don't have to memorize the lines, you know, because there'll be a lot of changes and we'll be kind of feeling it out and figuring it out as we go. And so I don't know if it's as much ad libbing as there is just kind of like them coming into a scene without necessarily having every like Mm -hmm. the whole thing planned out and them just kind of like feeling their way through things but like you said it does kind of show because i think in certain instances you might be able to get you know a more raw performance or you might be able to you know tap into something but like that also requires the script itself to be sharp and like you know the movie itself to have you know momentum and direction and this film has a lot of starts and stops but also like the two of them I would say they have decent chemistry. Again, I think there's not really a lot to do, you know, so it is just they, them they, on screen. They aren't given enough scenes together. Like, they aren't yeah. even given enough scenes together. And and sort of, I'm surprised that this is how they, they, they shot it, because this is a very plot-heavy movie. Mm-hmm. And sort of, with a plot-heavy movie, you can't just go around and improvise. You have to follow the plot. Yeah. So I don't know how they sort of, like, I mean, the plot is coherent, so somehow yeah. they managed it, but uh, that doesn't mean that anything, that nothing that happens. I think we what we needed, if they were really going to improvise, is maybe they should have improvised the friendship because it's not in the script, yeah. or at least it's not in this finished movie that we that we saw. So that's where, if they were trying to find the characters or trying to find the story or whatever it is, yeah, they should have worked on the friendship a little yeah. bit more because. Um, to the point you were making earlier about how once the second, I, I think of the film as three parts. When once the second part ends, then they're kind of separated for a long time, and I'm like, okay. And then even the second part, where their friendship is supposedly so deep that this man would risk everything and everyone he knows to save this person that he just met two weeks ago or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so where is the friendship? You need right. to show me why. Why does he feel this much about him? Yeah, and it's as simple a change as just he was the he was the first interpreter Jake Gyllenhaal had when he got to Afghanistan twelve years ago, and they've been together twelve years, and that's the movie. 
You know what I mean? Like throwing yeah. them together. But you you sold it, Jordan. <laughs> you sold it for them. <laughs> well, just throwing them together in a, in a matter of days, it kind of feels like you, you're right in that there's just not enough time to be- build a believable connection between the two of them. That like once that scene starts up, you're just like, not even why doesn't he just run away and leave him there? Like obviously, you know, like yes, you know, there's probably enough care, and he doesn't want him to like get just like murdered by the taliban or tortured or whatever (laughs) but it's like that that's a lot to do though right you know like to to drag another human being that far that's a there's a lot happening there um but i do want to read you very quickly um Mm -hmm. some quotes from jake gyllenhaal because he's he parrots something that guy Ritchie says in his interviews for this film as well that this is not a political movie it is an apolitical oh, film, oh. and that's how they oh, went yeah. into it. And so this is wow. Jake Gyllenhaal. What a choice. <laughs> what a choice is, is very correct. Jake Gyllenhaal says, uh, the nice thing about this movie and what I think makes it interesting is that there's no real bond between these two people. It's an arranged marriage. They are reluctantly connected all the way until the end. He doesn't do it for some sentimentality or because he's a good guy. It's really basically that John cannot go forward with his life and be fully alive unless he goes back and fulfills this promise. Right. So that's mm-hmm. his perspective on these characters relationships and then to deadline he says there are a lot of different stories about the experience of the u.s and afghanistan that i had read some politicized some not and this just sort of felt nonpartisan, right so like he's basically like yeah you know if this was a more political movie maybe i wouldn't even done it uh and then follows this up in one last interview where he says this is not a political movie and goes on to say this is a story about doing good and it is our ethos as americans that no one is left behind i think that that is important to shine a light on and that that ethos and that idea lives again right so yeah. like, i can't tell if he's in mm. i'm promoting a movie mode or mm. like <laughs> if these are yeah i think deeply... he's in i'm promoting a movie mode sounds like sound bites from the marketing team that he's just parroting and the marketing team is not involved in the creation of the film so probably they they just see the the finished product and they come up with these sound bites. And Maybe. so he's just repeating the sound bites. He says it a lot. I've read at least four or five different interviews and he says much the same thing time and time again. So why do you want to make an apolitical movie about the war in Afghanistan? That doesn't make sense to it doesn't make sense at all. So you wanna tell me that you set out to do this and or that doesn't make sense. But okay. Thank you, Jake Gyllenhaal, for your efforts. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make sense. And then on top of it, like I think we discussed before, like if, if it's not going to be about the war in Afghanistan, like it literally could be about anything else. It could be about the yeah. bond between these two men. But then he even goes on to say, well, they don't really have a bond. You know, he just is just really guilty. And there's something about two men not sharing because it's it's. I guess it's a hallmark of Guy Ritchie movies. I have not seen enough of them, but I'm going to assume that this is kind of his deal is that men don't cry or have emotions or don't emote to one another uh, because a lot of the bond of this film, and there's, there's one scene in particular that I like Mm -hmm. was very confused by. And there was a line in that scene in particular that was also like raising my eyebrows at because it's the scene where, they meet again right and it's like 
Jake uh-huh. Gyllenhaal, instead of, I mean, obviously, no, don't go up and say, hey, <laughs> I'm back. You know, like, yeah. just, like you know, you're, you're still trying to be covert and all that stuff. But he just, like, yes. casually walks up and stands and waits a couple beats until Ahmed, like, looks up over at him. And then, like, they don't say anything to each other for a while. And, like, Ahmed, like, basically continues what he's doing like fixing this car mm-hmm. until he comes over and has a seat and then they continue to look at each other and Ahmed just kind of shakes his head and they're just kind of like look at us back mm-hmm. <laughs> here again yeah do it again well, he said that they, <laughs> they don't have a bond I'm, I'm actually surprised by that because to me from i haven't seen all of his movies but i've seen many of them like the guy richie sort of like trademark is these these characters that come together for a mission, right. they, they're disparate characters, like they're not friends, or sure. but they come together for a mission, whether the mission is a heist or the war in Afghanistan, whatever it is, <laughs> they come together for to accomplish this mission. And in the in the work they do together, they develop the bond. Like that's the thing that he does, yeah. that he repeats in these movies, at least to my perception over and over again so i'm very surprised that jake dunhall would say they don't have a bond and that's not what the movie's about because i thought that was the movie's about that I, we're supposed to believe there is some bond I there, would right? hope so after everything they went through <laughs> together uh but that's yeah. what's so weird about it it's like they see each other again and it's not even like they both have to break down in tears and cry or anything but it's basically like hey what's up you know back we're just just doing what you and i do i guess which is try to get out of Afghanistan. <laughs> but yeah. there's a line that Jake Gyllenhaal says that I like had to stop for a minute because it's such a it's such a weird piece of dialogue, weirdly delivered and not and, and kind of stepped on as Jake Gyllenhaal delivers the follow-up line that I didn't I couldn't parse what I was supposed to take from it because uh he's basically like, Hey, I'm at I'm back, I'm here. Like we gotta go though, like right now. Like we don't have time to waste. And Ahmed kind of looks around and he's like, you know, a shame because I, you know, I, I, I like it here or I was starting to like yeah. it here. And then there's like a pause and the camera pans to like basically just a man in an alley and like broke down cars. And Jake Gyllenhaal looks around. He's like, yeah, I can see why, you know, and I was like, yeah, I, I think it's a joke. I think this is attempted levity here, but mm-hmm. I'm also like. There's and this is why I think, again, like if we're talking about them just kind of doing things on the day of shooting and there's not really Mm -hmm. like tightly plotted or written dialogue or anything like that, like I take it to mean who who would ever want to live in Afghanistan when you could live in America (laughs) like America is so great. Why wouldn't you why would you ever consider staying here if you had the opportunity to move to america but it's also like but you have you have to have an understanding i mean one people love where they come from where they're born you know what i mean like it's not even like not everybody who's not in america wakes up every day and says oh man you know i wish i had a chance leaving is never easy even if you have good reasons and strong reasons leaving is never easy and and the movie doesn't explore that at all. Yeah. But also, like, what Ahmed and his family can more or less expect in America is 
racism. Like, I mean, it's not like he's going to come over here and be like, yay, glad that you made it. You know, here's, uh, you know, everything you ever dreamed of. It's like, there's a very real possibility that he comes over here and like, I mean, you know, veterans come home and Mm -hmm. they they don't get treated well they're well ma- so, like, they're making an apolitical movie it's another <laughs> thing they don't want to deal with right it's very <laughs> weird but yeah um let's quickly transition into some of these reviews because this movie came out again mm-hmm. it was not financially successful as we saw you know didn't didn't make mm-hmm. back its budget at the box office but people seemingly enjoyed it enough because it's got a 7.5 out of 10 on imdb which is pretty high mm-hmm. on rotten tomatoes it's got a 82 percent uh critic score but then it's got a 98 percent audience score wow <laughs> and it's one of those things where like you know rotten tomatoes can be deceptive because sometimes like you you read the actual review connected to you know the thing and it's got a fresh rating but like the review is like this was fine you know, like it's not like a glowing review, which is kind of like, yeah, yeah, hey, this is okay. But some of these reviews, and I think part of it too, because there's a trend that I saw, which was more or less the review is in praise of Guy Ritchie making mm. this movie and not the making movie something itself. different. Yes. So a lot of the praise is, you know, this feels like a breath of fresh air for Guy Ritchie. He's really reinvigorated himself by paring it down. This is the Mm -hmm. perfect two person story. Um, You know, this is swinging perfect two person story. Wow. Swinging back to a more serious register. (laughs) Ritchie presents his first film grounded in harsh real world politics, even though it's apolitical. And it's the best film he's made in years. Right. So there's a lot of these reviews Uh where people are just like, wow, I could I. I can't believe Guy Ritchie made this movie. Mm-hmm. He's being praised for doing, for changing a gear or doing something different than he hasn't done before, which huh, I guess, I, yeah, I don't agree with any of this. It's so <laughs> funny. Like when I, when I write about a film, I don't read anybody else. Yeah. So, um, so that's why all, all of what you're reading right now is a complete surprise to me. Well, because there's a, there's, I mean, it was, it was fascinating to me to read your review, which I really enjoyed, but like felt like, somebody who watched the movie and was just like and this is what it is like this is what i saw right you know what i mean and like where a lot of these other reviews were just like uh, maybe they're guy Ritchie fans maybe they're not you know and like again all of this is subjective everybody has their own opinions about things and like you know there's no right way to view film but like Mm -hmm. it 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 seemed like that there was a lot more digressions into like wow guy Ritchie really surprised me by mm-hmm. toning it down even though again there is a character named jizzy in this mm-hmm. movie the, <laughs> the end of the film is basically just like guns a million yeah. like they're it, just like bl- mowing people down and again this is just a quick tangent in a way that like sure right taliban bad and that's kind of the shorthand and it's easy to do that uh-huh. Even though, like, there's two villains. One of them is American bureaucracy, but you can they never put a face to that. Like, there's never somebody mm-hmm. presented as person yeah. stopping Ahmed from getting a visa. Yeah. But, like, yeah. we see the Taliban, and we see them get murdered a lot, right? And it kind of feels almost yeah. like a, hey, you know, like, we can kill these brown people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, don't worry about yeah. it, because they're the bad ones. And so, like, here's, like the coolest and latest Lockheed Martin drone technology. And we're just going to like kill at least 50 yeah. of them in one stroke. And it's awesome. And it's like, 
that's still. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm surprised at the the very positive reviews because even if you like Guy Ritchie and even if you're a fan of Guy Ritchie films, I think what he does best is is staging action scenes. And the action in this movie is not that interesting or intriguing yeah. or exciting. Like there's just a lot of machine gun fire and that's all that happens. And, you know, people dodging that. And so there is no finesse. There is no choreography yeah. that sort of entices you to follow what's happening, which usually in his other movies, like the one yeah. he, he, he has two movies this year, the one he released earlier, Operation Fortune. There's like this scene that, you know, they're chasing each other on the steps. I don't know, some European country. I can't remember now where it was set. But anyway, and the scene follows somebody is on a car, somebody's on a scooter, and the third person is running. And sort of like the just the position of these three things happening, the different speeds and how they get to each other, all of that was choreographed so well. He knows how to do this. Yeah. And I didn't see it at all in the covenant which i just thought the the action scenes were just really you know um i try not to use this word but i can't come up with a better one so boring yeah well <laughs> like i said earlier it feels like he's at odds with himself because like the beginning of the movie it seems like he's trying really hard to just give us straight on gunfight mm. you know what i mean like i know when mm. there's not going to be any style to this there's not going to be any like interesting camera movements or like kinetic you know feel to it like people are just shooting at each other i'm just gonna film it and then when we get to the end he's like i can't hold it anymore <laughs> here's a car chase yeah. and like you know dr like everything's blowing up like i have to get it out and it like you said it feels like a third movie within the movie because all of a sudden now it's just like who's got the biggest guns like who can shoot the most bullets like it, every like all nuance and subtlety is washed away is like they just shoot at each other on a bridge for at least five minutes um so, so weird. yeah <laughs> like, um well let's very quickly let's let's put this movie on our our ranking scale we've got our, our caucasity ranking system which has three different <laughs> levels of caucasity uh each week uh -huh. and the first level is shorts in the winter it's summertime now. Shorts, yeah. not only just acceptable, but welcome, right? Like everybody needs to be comfortable. Yeah, everybody yeah. needs to feel good. But, you know, cool when it's 80 degrees, not so much when it's 8 degrees. And yet some white yeah. people still can't put the shorts away, no matter if there's snow on the ground, anything like that. <laughs> but this level is the – nothing's necessarily – wrong i just have questions right like i'm i'm okay not quite sure what's happening it's questionable yeah i'm watching yeah. from afar i you know you, tell me more yeah, you're not hurting me <laughs> i'm not hurting you but like what what's happening here the second level of okay. caucasity is this movie is touching my hair and that's the point Ooh. where a violence has occurred right you know what i mean you're just Ooh, minding yes. your own business somebody comes up behind you before they even start talking to you they're just in it feeling around then they have questions that they could easily google or research or just not even bother me with Ooh, but like now yeah. violence has occurred now you have intruded into my space you have made a declaration of some kind which was not welcome uh but it's not the worst thing that's ever happened the mm -hmm. third level of caucasity i have been blissfully as as safely as possible unaware of what white people have been up to uh as we've taken this little break but apparently they just they they don't stop and now that succession is over and barry is over and like you know all of the <laughs> things keeping them occupied have have started to erode like they're back out here doing all kinds of things i haven't been keeping up i 
barely know who Matt Healy is, but apparently he was saying all kinds of crazy things about iSpace. And like oh, as wow. as Taylor Swift's new boo, like all of that started to come out in New York City. Apparently there was a white man who felt it within himself that he could snatch a black woman's wig off and just like oh. walk down the street with it. Uh, she got that man fired, but like that's a very bold thing to try and do. Uh, obviously, throughout the country, whether it's Ron DeSantis or other Republican lawmakers, are still going crazy doing all kinds of things that just have no. It's it's hate. It is legitimate hate. They're not even trying to hide it, but like they're still going on whether it's you know critical race theory, whether it's trying to ban lgbtq people generally from anything and everything um but this Mm -hmm. is this is violence writ large right like this is not yeah i'm not trying to hide it i don't i hope it hurts you i'm actually not trying to conceal any of this uh yeah you know and it's it is it is the ultimate you know on our list so out of those three what do you think guy richie's the covenant gets i think he touched my hair i think it's the (laughs) middle (laughs) um because I think what it fails in is that it just doesn't give the brown character, Ahmed, any nuance or any backstory. It doesn't even give him a uh, a last name. Yeah. Um, and in the end, he's the more interesting character. He's the one I wanted to know more about. Um, and so it's not fully egregious, but it's not innocent either. Right. Do you, do you have a fix? Do you have a, re, a reworking of this movie that would... I mean, just make him the focus. Let's start with him. Why did he become an interpreter? How did he get into those sto- into that story? Or start in the middle when he met and then go flashback and tell me the story from, from back and then stay with him yeah. after he saved John Kinley. What happened on, yeah. during those months when he went underground? How did he survive underground? Yeah. Who helped him? Who didn't help him? What was his daily life like with his wife and little uh, ch- a kid, you know, going from place to place, or as they call it, cave to cave, or however it is they term it in the film? Like, tell me that story. Yeah. That's that's the interesting story. Yeah, I, I have to give it a touch of my hair as well. And I, and I think what's what's so interesting, or actually uninteresting, right, is like I am, I am mm-hmm. totally uninterested in any story about afghanistan or the middle east or particularly any of these wars told from an american or western perspective because we've done it and we and mm-hmm. we've got the hollywood we do machine, it every time all the time you know what yeah. i mean and I'm, I'm way more interested in what the people in afghanistan think what afghan filmmakers have to say about it like what there is to know from that perspective because not only is that a perspective that you you seldom hear specifically in the west but also like that's again like we said the more interesting story there's a lot more mm-hmm. to deal with there even like give me ahmed after he comes to america right like he does all that stuff he 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 manages to get out he's here with his family but like what is that you know because like his family is here but that's not his only family i'm sure he still has family in afghanistan i'm sure he's trying to grapple with you know cultural changes i'm sure he's trying to figure out okay, now that I'm here, you know, what is this life going to be for my wife, who I think maybe says four lines in the movie. She doesn't really say anything of of note. And, uh, and for my child, like, you know, what is this life that I hope for them to have? And even how do I, you know, maintain and keep our our culture and our heritage to pass down to them, even though now they're Mm -hmm. growing up in a completely different country. You know what I mean? Like there's so many different ways to take that 
that this movie just doesn't it doesn't seem very interested in at all but like (laughs) it's it's it there's a lot happening anyways uh thank you so much for joining us i i truly appreciate it this has been great um as we get out of here please tell everybody where they can find you on the internet um anything that you have going on that you want to promote and uh tell people a movie or a tv series or anything really that you'd like to recommend that they can do in place of guy Ritchie's the covenant yes well jordan thank you so much for having me for asking me to be to come talk to you tonight i really enjoyed it um uh, people can find me on twitter at me underscore says uh you can read my film reviews and articles at variety and at the av club i am also the host of the izzy and mortada picture show which is a podcast about film where me and my um my partner in the podcast is we we choose a subject. Sometimes we have a guest. Sometimes it's just us talking about a film. You can find that um, on Instagram and on Twitter at I am Picture Show, or you know, download it wherever you listen to podcasts. And actually, the episode this week will be my recommendation. We just discussed the new film Past Lives, which is a film um, that was a sensation at Sundance this year. It's out um, in limited release this Friday. Um, and it's by Celine Song. It's really a wonderful film about um, a woman um, and her relationship with two men in her life. I don't want to give it more, but it's about these volcanic emotions that erupt when this man that she met as a kid and had feelings for, she meets him again 20 years later um, when she's married to someone else and sort of what happens. It's it's really beautiful film. And Celine Song, who directed it, um, I think it's going to be a major... Um, it's going to have a major career. Great performances from Greta Lee and John Magaro um, in this film. So nice. that's my recommendation. <laughs> awesome. Um, I guess I'll, I'll recommend the last movie that I watched, which was which was Police Story 3 Supercop uh, with Jackie Chan and Michelle Yeoh. If you have, have criteria, they still have the Michelle Yeoh collection up there, which has like a lot of the films that she uh, did back in China. So it's got some, again, it's got like, you know, uh, I think they had Crouching Tiger. I don't know if it's still on there, but they also had, you know, Supercop and stuff like that. But then other more little known films that you may not have seen. Uh, but of course, she is the ultimate, you know, professional martial artist, actress, all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. definitely recommend checking that out. Um, as for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at JRSOSA18, J-R-S-O-S-A-1-8. You can also find the show at white underscore pod on Twitter, as long as Twitter is still a thing that exists. Um, <laughs> you can find Cameron on Twitter at the blipster 1138 Check him out. He's got a lot of stuff going on. Um, we will not be back next week uh, because we're still kind of on our hiatus, but we will be doing some fun things throughout June, July, going into August. We'll try to have some live watches. We've picked out some movies that are pretty wild looking, like Ninja Vengeance, where uh, a white ninja fights the clan. And there's also rooftops where uh, a white breakdancer like gets into a gang war on a roof. It's like dancing, but I guess if you fall off the roof, you lose because you're probably dead. But <laughs> there's there's a bunch of wild and crazy movies that we're going to try to watch. We're also going to have some reviews on stuff like um, the new Into the Spider-Verse movie, uh, Little Mermaid, things like that. So we're going to be you know, here and there, touch and go. Uh, so so please look out for us. Check us out. You can always hit us up at whitepeoplewontsaveyoupod at gmail.com. 
if you have anything that you want to let us know. But that's going to do it for us this week. Happy Pride, everybody. And we'll be back uh, soon with more Cacacity. Peace. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved.